0: Again, thank you for downloading this sermon. We pray it will enrich your walk with Christ. God bless you, and we look forward to welcoming you and your family to the Chapel of the Cross. Holy and loving God, write a message on our hearts. Bless us, direct us, and send us out living letters of the word. Amen. Please be seated. I love games, from classics like Cribbage and Backgammon to more contemporary favorites like Cranium or Apples to Apples or the current favorite at my house, Exploding Kittens. Nothing is much more delightful than gathering with family and friends, and playing a good game. One game I enjoyed when I was in grade school was the Game of Life. Perhaps you remember the Game of Life. It features a classic board with a path that each player must traverse from beginning to end. You begin each game with a small plastic car. Each car has several little pegs in it that represent passengers. We start with just one peg, representing yourself, but then you add pegs as you play, representing your spouse and your children. And as your life progresses, and your car and its passengers move across the board, you accumulate wealth through education, vocation, investments, and other circumstances. You can also lose wealth due to a disaster, or an illness, or taxes. You get the idea. It's not a very complicated game. And to win, your car must reach the end first, and then you count up t- count up how much money you earn during your life, and the player with the most cash wins. If we overanalyze the game of life, we might bristle at the obvious materialism it celebrates. We would certainly conclude that the real game of life is much more complex and about so much more than simply accumulating cash. But are we really that enlightened? And do we behave as such? If we look at the way our economy is oriented, and how vocational and financial accomplishment is valued and celebrated, rather than personal or emotional or, dare I say it's spiritual accomplishment, how far removed is real life? from the game of life, as we continue to accumulate more and more and more, what are we trying to prove? In the interest of full disclosure, I should confess that as I was writing this sermon, as I was writing this paragraph, I stopped, I went online, and I placed an order on Amazon. (laughs) Because I do need more stuff. So we get richer. And I use we meaning all of us because compared to some of the poorest of the poor just around the corner or across the globe, all of us are rich. And as we get richer and continue to consume a larger percentage of the world's resources while the poorest of the world struggle for the very foundations and basic survivals of life like food and shelter and medicine, What does this say about our priorities? Back in Louisville, where I grew up, there was a boat shop along the Ohio River with a sign that read, well, whoever has the most toys at the end wins. A good strategy for a boat shop, but perhaps not the best personal philosophy. To paraphrase the prophet Madonna, the pop star, not the mother of Jesus, we are living in a material world, and we material people. Two thousand years ago, Jesus' contemporary struggled with these same issues. Someone followed him makes a very unashamed request. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And Jesus responds, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then, as he is wont to do, Jesus tells us a parable to illustrate his point. Jesus says, "'The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, "'What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? "'Then he said, "'I will do this. "'I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. "'And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. "'And I will say to my soul, "'Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years.' Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and all the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. Jesus' parable makes us uncomfortable. And that's the point of because Jesus often told parables to make folks uncomfortable. The parable also raises two issues. First, some interpret this parable to mean that God dislikes rich people. That's a very simplistic reading, and I reject that conclusion. The God I believe in loves all people unconditionally and equally. And But if we receive some type of abundance, large or small, through our own work and thrift or through the hard work and thrift of our forebears or some other circumstance, we need not be ashamed. But we should give thanks to God who gave us those blessings. We should use them wisely and give as we are able to the work of God on earth. And second, and much more importantly, we must not treat our abundance, no matter how large or small, as an idol. As Paul wrote to the church at Colossia this morning, put to death your greed, which is idolatry. Our own prot- productivity, our money, our security, our status that can come from our productivity, they do not and cannot replace God. Too often we depend solely on ourselves, and our own abilities to provide for our physical, psychological, and, yes, spiritual needs and desires. And when we do that, we drift dangerously close to the sin of replacing God with the idol of our own abilities. Peter Jones, a Baptist pastor in Atlanta, calls this tendency, practical atheism, the inclination to, when managing one's life, relating to possessions and planning for the future, to live and behave as if there were no God. And when we believe that we are in control, when we have all the answers, and when we alone can solve all the problems, we turn down a dark path that can lead to strife and division. And violence. And when something horrible does happen, and we can't fix it, our idol comes crashing down. Like a house of cards, the McMansion of our life never stands against the winds of real life. And then we cry those prophetic words of our first hymn this morning Cure thy children's warring madness, bend our pride to thy control. But there is good news this morning, I promise, there's good news. For when we decide to put aside our material dreams and to to stop clutching our self-reliance, God is there. God was there. God is here. And God will be there to pick us up, to dust us off, and to provide for our real hungers and our real needs when our barns fail. As Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, just a few verses after this morning's reading, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor split nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed as one of these. But if God so clothes the lilies of the field, which are alive today, but tomorrow are thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? In other words, if we allow God to be God and not allow abundance to control our lives and our souls, then we will truly be the winners at the game of life, for we will be filled and we will be free. We will truly be able to relax in God, to eat and drink and be merry as brothers and sisters in Christ. I quoted Madonna, the pop star, a few moments ago, which was a very silly thing to do. But perhaps the Madonna, the mother of Jesus, is more helpful and ultimately more comforting. For she sang a different song. She sang, you have filled the hungry with good things. Amen.